Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. If you have a pew Bible, you'll find the reading on page 1208 as we're reading from Hebrews chapter 10 and beginning to read at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes, you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one 
will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together as we stand. Heavenly Father, we do indeed praise you that you are the God who speaks. And what a word you speak to us. Uh, The word of your son. And we have sung of tonight the one who freely gave it all for us. Uh, The one who was willing to surrender his life for us. Uh, We have sung of your great love of which you speak of in your word. And we pray tonight as we open that word again that by your spirit you would so clearly speak to us tonight that we would honour your son, uh, that we would treat as holy, as precious, the blood of the covenant which you have won for us through his death, and that we would honour the work of your spirit as he speaks to us this night. Uh, Honour it by drawing near to you again and not shrinking back. Uh, We pray this for your glory's sake and for our good. Amen. Well, uh, please uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. As we continue our series uh, in Hebrews that we've been in uh, since uh, September, we've reached chapter 10 and verse 19 uh, tonight. It's page 1208 uh, of the Church Bibles. Well, it is uh, Remembrance Day today, and we had a a remembrance service this morning at 11 a.m. It is a, a day to remember those who fought and died for us, Uh, fought and died so that we could enjoy uh, the real freedom we enjoy this night. It is a day indeed filled with stories, uh, stories of those who have faced uh, overwhelming opposition and cost and yet did not shrink back, who held their ground for us. And uh, Great Britain uh, is a people uh, with more stories perhaps than many other nations to tell when it comes to this day. But let me just for a moment share with you one humble story from uh, the little island that I am from. It is uh, 1941 and they are called the Rats of Tobruk, uh, a group of men who single-handedly held the, uh, the deep water port of the Libyan town of Tobruk, uh, held it against the, uh, at that point, never before de- defeated Rommel's Africa Corps. Now, the battle ultimately was for control of the Suez Canal, If Rommel could take Tobruk, he would take Egypt and have control of the canal and the supply lines. Uh, But Allied troops had been stretched. They'd been sent off in all sorts of different fronts to defend there, which left just some 12,000 Australian troops massively outnumbered and against Rommel and his panzer tanks. Radio Berlin, the propaganda radio, was blaring all throughout Tobruk during this time, mocking the Aussies uh, because of their tendency to hide in holes and only come out at night. They were regarded as rats caught in a trap. The Australians uh, took on this name with pride and even uh, shaped out of panzer tank metal uh, little rat badges for themselves. Uh, The battle began in April 1941. They were told that uh, it would only be a few weeks before replacements arrived, but none had arrived by the end of the year. They lived in holes uh, during the day, uh, built an elaborate system of tunnels and only came out at night to crawl on their bellies for miles until they surrounded isolated enemies or tanks and struck. 
Against all odds, through the year of 1941, they held out against this awesome force until it was Rommel himself who had to retreat. They had a simple philosophy, no retreat, no surrender. They are the rats of Tobruk, and today is the day to tell their stubborn story. But tonight, as we continue uh, this series in Hebrews, as we look at the very last verse of our passage, verse 39, we have a call to a very similar mindset. A stirring words, words of battle. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. It is a call to hold the ground, to not shrink back from the place we find ourselves But it is not a call to defend a port or a city. No, here the call is to defend something far more precious. The ground that they and we now as we read this tonight are being called to defend is all we have in Jesus. That's the ground we are to hold. As we look at that tonight, as we hear that call to defend this ground of Jesus, his cross, to not move from there, not shrink back. You may be here tonight and you're not a Christian. And you hear this call to defend the ground of all we have in Jesus and you're thinking to yourself, well, I have, well, nothing in Jesus. Uh, He is interesting, but ultimately of little value to me. Little value, that is, compared to other things that I might hold preciously, that I might be willing to defend. But if that is you, listen in tonight as uh, we continue this series in Hebrews. Listen in to see how, again, this passage will declare just how precious Jesus is. All the way through Hebrews we've seen it. It is the big point of this letter to see how valuable he is to us so that we won't leave him. Hebrews 1, all the way at the very start of Hebrews 1 we were told to come to Jesus is to come to the king. The heir of all things, the one through whom God made all things and sustains them. Even now, our next breath of air, that's his work. To come to him is to come to the only one, as we've seen in recent weeks, who can actually deal with our problem of guilt. The guilt that is before our God as those who have lived in a world that he made and sustains and yet rejected his rule. A situation that was uh, described perfectly for us back in Hebrews 9.27. Because we have lived that way, this is our destiny. Did you you remember it from last week? Hebrews 9.27. We are destined to die once. We know that. And after that, face judgment. That is the path this world is on without Jesus. But as we have seen last week, to come to Jesus is to come to the one, the only one that can change that path. Now have a look at Hebrews 9, 27. See what comes next in verse 28. 27, there's our destiny without Jesus. Just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. And then comes this. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, but to bear our sin, not to bear our sins, but not even to bring judgment, to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Do you see the change of path? We are now not those destined to die once and face judgment, but to receive salvation. Those who come to Jesus, to his cross, are those who know he is the king, the king who makes this sort of difference. And as we saw in 1014, the king who makes us perfect forever. That is, in 1017, we are forgiven forever. That is why he is so precious to us. Here is the king, the heir of all things, the one who claims every inch of planet earth for himself, and yet he is the one who forgives us. 
And so Hebrews is written simply to those who have come to Jesus and says to them, don't move, don't move. Whatever comes in life, whatever comes towards you, don't move, hold that ground with him. Now that's what we'll see again in our passage. It's been the exhortation all the way through this book. But uh, simply tonight we'll see three things. We'll see how to avoid being those who shrink back. Uh, We'll see the real danger of shrinking back. And then we'll finish with, I think, stirring footage of some who before us have held their ground. Uh, First, uh, verses 19 to 25 of chapter 10, how to avoid shrinking back. Now, they are some of the more famous verses in Hebrews, and I say how to avoid, but uh, really, it's, uh, if it's defence here, it's defence on the front foot. Purposeful, passionate, holding our ground. Now, the focus of these verses is not so much of us as individually holding our ground, but as a church, as a community, as a people. It's a corporate picture. In this battle, we are one unit, and we hold the ground together. And so knowing that, we see in these verses 19 to 25, four things to be about whenever we do get together. Whenever we get together like this, whenever you're in your small groups, whenever you're praying with another Christian, whenever you're meeting with them, these are the purposes, these are the reasons we get together. Well, here they are. Firstly, and perhaps most importantly, it is that we gather together to draw near to God. How amazing are those four words? Now, we live in a world that is away from God and from his place. Our sin has cut us off from him. All that awaits us if we attempt to draw near to him is judgment. But Hebrews has told us again and again in these recent chapters, because of the blood of Jesus, that has changed forever. And so look at these wonderful words that Paul read for us just before 10 verse 19. Therefore, since we've confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. How amazing are those words. You can draw near to God. Uh, the God that we rejected, the God that we wanted nothing to do with, the God that rightfully is our judge, you can draw near to him and not draw near in fear of judgment. Now you can draw near with a sincere heart. You have nothing to doubt before him. You can walk confidently into his presence. You have nothing to fear there. Your heart and your conscience is clear because of the blood of Jesus. There is nothing that's going to condemn you there. No accusation. Now, that's the very heart of the gospel. You know, often, uh, often the gospel, we stop at forgiveness, is the great prize of the gospel, I'm forgiven. But no, the reason God forgives you is so you can draw near to him. And so our gatherings are to be about this. Every time we gather like this, you are gathering to draw near to God again. Coming near to God's throne to find timely help. We saw that back in chapter 4. Here is one who can help us every time. Coming near to find forgiveness again and again and again. Coming near to listen to his voice, his good voice, his wise voice, his voice that leads to life so that we can obey it. Coming near to enjoy him as we have in song tonight, to rejoice in who he is. Uh, Let us draw near to God. 
Uh, secondly, uh, in this uh, plan of how not to shrink back, first draw near to God. Secondly, verse 23, uh, we are to gather to hold on to our hope. Verse 23, it's stirring stuff. We are to leave our gathering seeing Jesus and his gospel more clearly and more confident than we ever did before. Uh, that's your goal when you gather with other Christians, for you and for them, to leave them more confident in who their God is, more confident in his plans for them. And we are to do nothing to undermine or, or distract the hope that we have in him. And it's crucial that we see this as a very purpose for our meetings, very deliberately to hold on to that hope, hold it tightly. I remember at Bible college being warned of this, the first generation of Christians proclaim the hope. The second generation assume the hope and the third deny it. Uh, the only way we don't follow that pattern is to be the generation that holds the hope tightly so that when we pass it on to the next, it is still clear. Now let us be a church that as we hand this church gathering on to the next generation that follows us, have held our hope. And thirdly, uh, verse 24, we are to gather to stir up love and good deeds. It's a great verse. Uh, let me read it for us. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Uh, the picture, every time I read that verse, the picture I get is a sort of a flashback to my uh, youth and young adult years. I, I think I became and remained a Christian because I got stuck in the wrong crowd. That's essentially what happened. And uh, it was a wrong crowd that did stir me on as a Christian in many ways, but it's also a group of guys that uh, stirred me and them to do ridiculous things together. Now, one of them that, that we enjoyed doing after Bible study on a Wednesday night is we go down to Manly in Sydney, and at the back of Manly Beach is a big cliff that goes into Sydney Harbour. And there's a big sign saying, please do not jump off this cliff. And every time we got there, it seemed like a pretty bad idea, but every time we got there, there was at least one of the group, uh, Scott was his name, uh, who would say, no, we've got to do this. And so he would go down and test the water, test that it was deep enough, and he'd, he'd be in the water egging us on from the, from the bottom of the cliff. Come on! And so we'd jump in week after week, jumping into this uh, cliff. Last time I visited Sydney, I noticed they put up a giant fence now <laughs> to prevent such activities. There is a sense, especially when guys get together, groups of guys, they stir each other on to do silly and perhaps unwise things. Uh, but here in verse 24, we have the picture of what the church is supposed to be. We are meant to stir each other up. You are meant to leave here ready for the week. Uh, you are meant to leave here ready to love this week, ready to do good, ready to go completely against your culture. And so when we gather together, we are to be each other's cheer squad, support crew, coach, pushing each other on to love more and do more good. We gather to pray to that end. We gather to sing words to each other that will stir our hearts. We gather to speak the words of the Bible so that our hearts may be encouraged. And to push this a little further, as verse 24 does, uh, verse 24 should really read like this. Uh, let us consider one another so as to spur to love and good works. Now the word consider here, the Greek word, only appears one other place in Hebrews. It's back in chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, there we're told we are to consider Jesus. It's not a vague idea. We're to fix our eyes on him, to think about him, to focus on him, study him, fill our hearts and minds with him and all he is. He is the direct object of your consideration. 
But how's this for amazing? Now, 10 verse 24 says this. So, well, there's one other thing you need to consider along with him. Now, fill your thoughts with those around you. Our focus is each other. And so whenever we gather, it's to be filled with the consideration of not only Jesus, but the person next to you. Our focus upon those around us, uh, again, is not to be vague, it's to be purposeful. I'm meant to come here on a Sunday night and I'm meant to look along my pew and I'm meant to think, how can I stir those people to love and good deeds? How can they live here ready to love this week? Uh, That's why small groups are so precious to us. That's what they're meant to do for one another. We're meant to stir one another up. The Christian community is a miraculous one, isn't it? Do you see it? It's a group of people committed to drawing near to God, to fixing our thoughts on those around us, to inspire them to love. Show me a group like that in the world. And so there's the third way we hold on. We hold our ground. We don't shrink back. Here's the fourth and final one. We gather to give courage until that day. You see it there in verse 25. Now, verse 25 has really two habits on view. The habit of gathering together and the habit of uh, not gathering. Uh, To forsake gathering, to give up on gathering, to be in that habit is to say I've made a choice. To say I love something more than the thing I've forsaken. And the Bible says when it comes to gathering, gathering here on a Sunday night regularly week after week, you're either forming that habit of gathering or you're forming the habit of not gathering. And look at the end of verse 25. How often should we gather? All the more. Now we gather all the more, uh, not every now and then. And do you see why? It's because the day is coming. The day when Jesus will come back and he'll wrap this world up like a blanket. And the Bible says in the days leading up to that day, it'll be really hard to hold our ground. And Matthew 24 verse 12 says, In these last days the love of men will grow cold. Uh, Everything about our culture will see you going the opposite direction, to love less, to do less good. And so we had to gather gather all the more as the day approaches. As love around us grows cold, as good works diminish, uh, here is how we hold our ground while we wait for that day. We draw near to him. We inspire one another to love and good deeds. We consider each other. Not forsaking meeting like this, but giving courage to each other's hearts as we wait for that day. Now these verses, uh, which are famous verses 19 to 25, they're meant to be a, a blueprint, an instruction manual for us as we gather. Which leads me to ask this question as we move to the second section, 26 to 31. Why all this earnest exhortation? Why all this detail? Why all, the, why all these instructions? Why can't gatherings like this one tonight, why can't they be more like other social clubs that we're a part of? Why can't it be just a a gathering of friends? Why can't it be more fun? Uh, To which I say, firstly, it is that. Uh, I forge my best friends in Christian gatherings and I'm sure there are many like that here tonight. And I've laughed harder with brothers and sisters in Christ than perhaps anywhere else. But this is not the fun and friendship forged in uh, some meaningless game. No, the brothers and sisters that sit around you tonight are with you in a battle zone. Because our salvation in Jesus is too precious. If we lose him, we lose everything. And you see that in verse 26. Have a look at it with me. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. 
Now, to be someone who has received the truth about Jesus, seen him for who he is, seen that he is the son of God who made and sustains all things, to, to know that his blood is enough to secure your forgiveness forever, to have you free from judgment, to know all of that, sweet forgiveness, sweet relationship with him, the sweet hope of being with him, to have all that and then over time shrink back from him. And all he is to you is, verse 26, a sin for which there is no remedy. If we deliberately keep on sinning this way, it's not talking here about sort of sporadic doubts that we may have about Jesus or even waking up tomorrow morning and wondering if I can keep going as a Christian. No, it's speaking of the attitude of heart and life where we keep moving further and further and further away from him. The change may be slow, but it is inexorable. It is a shrinking away that may well, we're told in verse 25, begin with this simple habit that we form of no longer meeting with God's people. But behind that habit lies a much deeper one, the habit of no longer drawing near to God. He becomes less real to us, less precious. You need him less. Your willingness to submit to his voice becomes less. It's hard to know which comes first, whether it is abandoning his people or abandoning him, but they are intertwined. Uh, Some, and uh, perhaps you've known this experience, some abandon the gospel first and then church much later. While others, you can mark the day they abandon Jesus by the day they stop coming. And I know as I look at uh, these verses and say these things, I may be describing someone here tonight. There's a good chance. Perhaps you uh, haven't been for ages. Perhaps you would say your faith in Jesus is stale or almost lifeless. Perhaps you are on the verge of giving up and yet you're here tonight. Almost as if to give it one last go. Well, if that is you, it is incredibly good you are here. And to you, I want to leave you with these verses to go home with. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. You have a great high priest. He knows your weakness. He knows your struggles. Come to him. Find timely help. He will strengthen you. But also... As we look at these verses together, I don't want you or any of us to leave without seeing the huge consequences of walking away from him once and for all. Verse 26 again, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. And then verse 27, but only this, only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Uh, There are two aspects to the sin of shrinking back, of walking away from Jesus. First, there is the consequence of that sin from our perspective. A walk away from Jesus and quite simply, there's nothing left for you. If you move towards God's judgment with anything, anything as a defense other than Jesus' blood, you will not survive. Being covered by Jesus' blood means that judgment passes over you. But reject him and there's nothing there for you. Now, the sin of apostasy, which these verses speak of, is to reject your only hope in life and death, Jesus. Now, that's why this is so serious, because he is so precious. To let him go is to lose everything. But there is, uh, in these verses, a very uh, different aspect of this sin. It is from God's perspective. Have a look at verses 28 to 31. Uh, First, we're given this aspect from an Old Testament example, from the old covenant that we've been learning about. 
There we see God's old and gracious rescue of his people out of Egypt. He said, you will be my people. I will be your God. I will teach you my ways. I will cause you to flourish. If you walk in my ways, you will live. If you reject them, you will die. That was his promise. And as we've seen in Hebrews, the Old Testament is littered with countless examples of those who rejected God's grace. And because they turned away from this word of promise, this word of life. And if it was proved, we're told, uh, by two or three witnesses, if it was proved that they had walked away, then there was nothing left again for them. To reject life is to choose death. But the reason there was nothing left, and this is important for us to grasp tonight, the reason there was nothing left was because of the offence all of this is to God. He had led them out of slavery. He had taken them by the hand. He had carried them on eagle's wings. To reject the rescue is to reject the rescuer. It is personal. And so how much more then, says verse 29, how much more when you reject not a law, not a system, not the old covenant, but the son, his son, whom he loves, whom he willingly sent to die for you, and you walk over him as if he's nothing to you. And you see, for that sin, there are again witnesses. There are three, verse 29, father, son, and Holy Spirit. To shrink back from the cross, we're told, is to trample the Son of God underfoot. Is there a stronger phrase in the Bible than that for walking away from him? You are trampling the Son of God. The one who 10 verse 13 tells us will make all his enemies a footstool. What were you thinking trampling this one? It's the reversal of Paul's words in Philippians 3 where he says, I consider everything dung compared to knowing Jesus. Uh, Here you are saying the opposite. I consider him dung. The son of God, the heir of all things, the maker of all things. I consider him dung compared to what I'm willing to step over him to get. What is that prize? An affair? A marriage? Success? Comfort? Stuff? Acceptance? What will you walk over him to get? Walk away from him and you are trampling on him. Secondly, you are treating as unholy the blood of the covenant. It's of no value to you. It's just plasma and cells. Every time I see that verse, I'm reminded of a a moment that Liz told me, a friend of hers uh, had just moved house and the house was empty except a few things and there was uh, Liz and her friend walked into this empty room and right in the middle of this room is this giant ball. And uh, Dave, her friend, thought it was just like a a giant balloon that had been left from a party from the previous owners. So uh, trying to show off in front of Liz a little bit, he charged at this giant ball and kicked it with all his might. It turned out it was a giant light fitting. And so as he put his foot through it, there's just this shower of shattering glass everywhere. And no doubt a hugely expensive uh, light fitting. I suspect when people walk away from Jesus, they come to think of him as, well, nothing more than just a little part of their life. But you kick yourself free from him and the gospel. You shatter that relationship and you have shattered something so precious. And finally, to do that is to insult the spirit of grace. You can only insult a person, can't you? You can't insult a thing. And so the spirit of God, he is insulted He was there. He was there when this costly forgiveness was won for you. Chapter 9 verse 14 says this, The Trinity brought our forgiveness about. Christ offered himself to his Father as a perfect sacrifice through the eternal Spirit. They were all in on it. 
They were all there. They said, this is worth it. They'd been plotting it since the basement of time. And when he said it was finished, heaven rejoiced. You walk away from that. And verse 30 says, the Lord will take personal responsibility to take vengeance. To avenge the reputation of his son, of his spirit. His judgment will vindicate his son's life and death. It will vindicate his precious covenant. It will vindicate the work of his spirit. No one will diminish their glorious grace. For the one who shrinks back from this great salvation, all that is left for such a person, you see at verse 31, is the dreadful thing that it is to fall into the hands of the living God without the blood of Jesus. But as we move towards a close, uh, here's my question that I was left asking this week. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone shrink back from sins forgiven, from being able to draw near to God again, to be clean, to have no condemnation, to be welcomed by it? Why would you, why would you walk away from that? Well, our closing section, verses 32 to 34, will help us see why. It's footage of uh, the original audience of this letter, a footage at the very start of their Christian life, their glory days, if you like. The author takes them down memory lane and it is quite a memory. He says, remember those early days? I remember when you first saw Jesus and you trusted him. It was like beginning an epic journey, some epic contest that you joined. You were strong. You stood your ground, no retreat. Even in the face, verse 33, of opposition, you were hit by insults and persecutions and you didn't shrink back. And even when those around you were insulted and persecuted, you didn't hide in a corner, you stood right with them. And even, verse 34, you weren't ashamed to go visit those who'd been in prison because they were named as Jesus. You said, I'm with them, whatever costs. And you took this stand, even in the face of great loss, they took your property and you sang songs. But they seem now And I assume this is why the author is writing, in real danger of shrinking back. Why now? Uh, Could it be that there's one too many hits that have come? One too many hits to their reputation. It had started with small insults, but now it had grown into outright persecution. Retreat from Jesus and uh, all of that would go away. Could it be that the loss, the personal loss of their property, their possessions, was just getting too big to hold the ground? You can almost see them, can't you, tired and battered and again the call comes to stand their ground in this great contest of faith, to stick with Jesus and yet this time they hesitate. They've got nothing left. Can't take any more hits, not sure if it's worth it. And Hebrews has written to them to say it is, it, it really is. He's worth it. And so as we move to a finish, let me ask you this question. Is there any limit to the flack you'd take to be with Jesus? Any limit to the flack you'd be willing to take to be with him? Is there any limit to the cost you'd bear to be with Jesus? Because that's the call of Hebrews. You want to be with Jesus, remember where he is. He is not on a picnic, he is at the cross. You want to be with Jesus, it will mean being treated like Jesus. Whatever comes up the hill of Calvary, we are not to move. We are, in the words of Hebrews 13 verse 12, turn to those and see this call. Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make a people holy through his blood. So this is our job. Let us go then to him outside the gate, bearing the disgrace he bore. 
As we finish, let me give you two reasons why it's worth doing that, why it's worth going to him outside the gate with all the disgrace that that will involve for you. First, because of the incredible danger of being anywhere else. Uh, If you slink off the hill of Calvary away from him, thinking you'll slink off undetected, you won't. Three witnesses will see that move. Father, Son and Spirit, who were there for you. They'll bear witness. You will only hold your ground if you see the eternal danger of all other ground. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But secondly, you will only hold your ground because you see the incredible worth of staying with him. Do you see it there in 10 verse 34? Do you see why in those early days they held their ground, why they endured these hits, why they took the cost? Because you see that you have better and lasting possessions. You see that here on this ground you have sins forgiven, conscience cleansed. You'll only hold that ground if you see Jesus and his blood are more precious to you than your reputation, than your career, than your status or your pride or your safety or your freedom. And not just now, you will see that he is more precious in what is to come. They are not only better but lasting possessions. Hebrews 13, now where we're told to go to him outside the city, bearing the disgrace he bore, then goes on to say this in 13 verse 14. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And that's the great danger for us here in forward, isn't it? That promise of a city to come, it falls on deaf ears a bit, doesn't it? Our danger is that forward is a good enough heaven. Why would I want another city? I've got this one. I'm sure we say we hold loosely to all that we have here, but stare verse 34 in the face. Here is unshrinking faith. If they burned down your house, or they smashed your car, or they threw you out of the country that you are missioning in, or they took this church building because we will not move from Christ and his word, would you, as they kicked us out, sing songs of joy as loud as you did tonight? Or if the cost grew higher, would we grow tired and turn to walk down the hill away from him, back to our good enough heaven. Only if we know that Jesus and all that we have in him is better and lasting, only then will we unshrinkingly stick with him. And so church, see the danger, but also see his infinite worth, and hold on. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and he won't delay And he says, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. Uh, We are those who believe and are saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that it is only by the precious grace of your blood's your son's blood that we can enter. Only by grace we know that we'll be able to stand there and so we pray to you, the the God who promises timely help, that you would indeed help us this night and this week and all the days that will come before that day to not shrink back, uh, to stick with Jesus. Amen.